you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mass Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Timothy Colton. Colson. Welcome, Timothy. Hey, Mads, how are you? I am fantastic, and I'm great at slaughtering names nowadays. But uh, <laughs> how good. are you? I'm doing good. I'm just freezing over here in New York, so it's uh, a lot of good times. But I'm otherwise, I can't complain. I'm here, I'm doing it, so. Fantastic. Well, in cold situations, leadership is even more important. So, yep. right, Timothy, today we will talk about a few things. So we'll talk particularly around culture. We'll talk okay. a little bit about situational leadership. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I think is very important for, for more people to understand more about. And, you know, you have a, a good bit of background and understanding of that. So I'm super yeah. excited for that. And uh, yeah, then as always, we're going to talk about some of the big mistakes we've made, um, which is one of my favorite parts. But uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell the world a little bit about who you are and your background and so on? Believe it or not, there is probably one or two people out there that doesn't know who you are yet. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, now I, so my name is Timothy Colson. I'm from New York. I live about an hour from Manhattan, which is the like the hub for New York. That's what everybody thinks of when they come to New York. I am the owner of the Tri-State Legacy Group. It's a full-service independent financial agency based in the Hudson Valley. Um, and I've owned my, I've been in the business for eight years. I've owned my independent agency for three. Um, prior to that, I was an independent advisor through a big, like a nationally known mutual carrier. Um, I also was in leadership with them for a number of years. Prior to that, um, I was a leader with a big box realtor for about nine years. Um, but I've, I've held various leadership positions throughout uh, my adult life, starting as young as 22. I became a team leader and just rose the ranks. And I love leadership. It's something I'm really passionate about. I love learning more about it. I love learning more about organizational leadership and organizational psychology. Um, I'm also a husband to my beautiful wife and I have five boys and uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of leadership that has to happen there. So um, I think I have a really good, a good base of things to talk about. So I'm just excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. So let's let's jump straight into it and let's talk a little bit about culture. I think this is it's definitely something we have cut, touched on with others on the podcast, but I think it's one of those things that everyone knows about and hears about, but most people struggle to define it and they struggle to understand how they really influence it. So if we start from that angle, what's sort of your experience with culture and what's sort of your mindset of thinking around culture in, in the company where you work or lead people? For me, it, it begins and ends with culture. That's, kind of, that's how I feel. Um, I've, I've been in situations when I first started out in my leadership journey in my early 20s where the culture was great. And then there was a change in like top leadership. And we quickly watched the, uh, the culture deteriorate. 
I don't think that was by accident. You know, I think that the culture was, it was the imprint of the culture was started by one person and that one person affected two people and those two people affected four people and so on and so on. It's almost like a, it's like dominoes. So for me, it always begins and ends with culture. Um, I've been blessed to be a part of a number of really great cultures. I've also been blessed to be a part of a lot of cultures that I wanted to run away from. And I've, I've been put in a position where I've been a culture creator. Um, and that's where I'm, that's where I've been at probably the last like six years um, of my leadership journey is I've had the opportunity to like enact change within culture. And it's really interesting. I, I, I don't, you, you mentioned people don't know how to define it. Um, what I would say is think back in your life, whether you were working for somebody or you worked in a company and think about the times that you hated getting up in the morning. You didn't want to go to the building. You were like counting the minutes before you could leave. Those are examples of what a bad culture looks like. I would argue that a, a great culture, it feels comfortable, you know, and that, and I don't mean comfortable in complacency, but I mean comfortable in where you feel like you have ownership in what's going on. And um, it's, yeah, I mean, if you want to think of, if you want an example of good culture, think back to the times you couldn't get enough of being at work and you, you felt like you were a part of driving the mission forward and things of that nature. I mean, that's, those are examples that I can think of, but it, like you said, it's very hard to define. Um, it's, it's more of a feeling, I think, but you can see it. Like you can, you can spot a toxic culture from far away. You can actually smell the fire. You can smell the smoke. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Even, I mean, I, I've walked into many, many businesses, right. And I've, I've, I've yeah, I've had an interesting career in that perspective and, and you're hundred percent right. Like, Sometimes you just walk into a business and, you know, you don't even need to say anything. You don't need to yeah. ask questions. You can just feel it when you're there that people aren't comfortable. People aren't, you know, people yep. aren't getting the best output. And and very often it, I find it relatively hard to define in terms of uh, spot the culture in general. Right. But, but, but fundamentally it's really, it, it's both, some other things that you mentioned, uh, I believe that, uh, you know, around like people are comfortable working and so on. But yeah. I think uh, as much of it is about, um, as much of it for me is about happiness. Yeah. And here's the thing, like one thing I learned like a long time ago is the fact that people that perform tend to be happy. Yeah. However, people that aren't performing are rarely happy. Yeah. So the, the thing is, in a lot of cases, I've seen leaders think that, you know, if they give people an easy job or if they, you know, if they let them get away with being a crap producer, they will be happy because they're not getting shit. But the thing is, that's not actually the case. What tends to happen is if people aren't performing, they know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the problem is if people know they aren't performing, and then even if they know no one cares and no one's actually doing something about it, so even if they don't feel they're going to get kicked out, they still feel shit, yeah. right? So when you have someone who's in a job that they're either not qualified for or they are that they, they, they don't have the personality for or whatever, those people are generally not happy, right? And yeah. the, big, the biggest shortcut that I've seen in my career to, to creating a good working culture 
is actually making sure that you put people in places where they can succeed expectation and where they can succeed. Yes. And it's really interesting that you brought that up because I, I, I'm thinking back to, um, 2017, um, I was in leadership for that, for a large insurance carrier and the, the overall office culture, it was weird. Like it started off good. Like, and the office had about like 75 people in it. Um, but within the office, each of the leaders, they had their own unit. So like I had my own, like you always, you treat your own unit as it's your own office, right? And you create your culture and things of that nature. So when I made my first three, it was my first three hires. Like I was so, so particular about it because those three people were going to be the cornerstone of the culture that, that I wanted to build. Um, and what was interesting is those three people, they, they had success, you know, uh, measured against like the standard for people that come into my industry. Um, they exceeded expectations. Um, I did, I, I made sure to hold them accountable to their own goals, not my goals, because I think that's very important as a leader to identify what your people are wanting to achieve um, and then help them, give them tools and resources to get to those points. But then also just the culture we built. We built a culture that was based on creativity. It was built on honesty. It was built on accountability. And it was built on, on uh, having fun and, you know, and enjoying what you do. Because, like, it's – I'll never – I'm not a doctor. Like, it's – I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm in – I'm a financial professional. The stuff that we need – that stuff that we offer the marketplace is a commodity for the most part. And – it doesn't have to be that serious. Like we can go out and have fun and, and, and achieve great things and do all this stuff. But I remember one of the interesting things was, is that the culture, I was able to recruit quality candidates to the culture because I didn't have to go out and find these people. Other people saw these three producers having a great time, having success, enjoying what they were doing. They were happy and they wanted to get become involved. So I started getting new recruits based on just these three people being happy and producing. And I think that's awesome. Like that, I think that's a great example of culture. Now the other side of it is, is that our culture ended up kind of being like the, um, the, uh, the standard in the office and then other people on other teams, they weren't having the same experience and they wanted to come work in our unit. Now the problem with that is, you don't want to, you don't want to destroy your culture. So then you have to make that decision. Like, do, are you going to fit to the culture or are you just going to bring it down? Because that's, that's a whole other conversation, but I just wanted to point that out because I think that you're right. When people are happy and they're producing, like it does, it, it accentuates the culture, but it also makes all the other things easier too. It makes recruiting, it makes development, it makes training and like conferences and all this stuff way better. So. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. And I, th- I think just to, to sort of round off the whole culture aspect, right, I think uh, one, one of the key things that I've always really enjoyed is when you when you see people who do things slightly different, right? You, you already, I mean, everyone have heard this old saying was, you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness than ask permission. Yeah. And, and I, I think in leadership positions, honestly, that's, that's one of the things that I learned the, the hard way that it's sometimes a lot better to do, right? So even if it's things you know that, you know, you're not supposed to do this, 
uh, either it's not in the budget or you, you know you're, you're breaking something you're doing something that you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. however the key thing is that sometimes uh, how you get there is less important and yeah. the problem is asking for permission often means asking people to be able to do something yeah. whereas really as a leader you should be able to do right and yeah. and I think I've a lot of the, the biggest leaders and the, the best leaders that I've worked with personally is people that have not been afraid. Like it's not something they do every single day, but you know, if there's something they really believe this thing will make things different, this thing will really change things. They're not afraid to go and change it. Right. So for example, yeah. like simple things like, you know, that maybe there's no budget for bonuses. Great. Well, why don't you give people, you know, a day off or why don't you give them some kind of alternative bonus so that even though the the company might not say, you know, you can't give people bonuses or whatever, you know, you can still find a way to somehow reward people. Um, And even though you might be pushing the boundaries a little bit of what you're not supposed to do, if you're convinced that doing what you're doing is really going to bring significant results then very often doing it is actually going to be significant, is potentially significantly better. Now, the whole thing is, it's going to be better when you're right. And this is the (laughs) thing as a leader, right? Because if you do something that's outside the rule book and you fail, then you get screamed at. Yes. I mean, I guess that's part of the, the, the price, right? I mean, I, I know exactly. Like I, I kind of live by that motto that you mentioned. Like, uh, ask, it's it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for, for beg for beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. I my my industry is so antiquated in the way they think, and I'm sorry if my industry is listening, but it's it's antiquated. We're like dinosaurs. It's like a dinosaur. Um, and there's a there's a small group of people that are trying to do things differently. And I mean, especially where I'm from, New York, it's very regulated, so it's even more archaic. But you have to trust your people. Like it's, we live in a world now where things just aren't the same way that they used to be. If you don't, you don't pack a lunch and go to the factory and sit in front of the factory line. The same, it's just not that way. And where people have different skill sets, um, it's more about situational leadership, understanding your people, and trusting your people. And you know, I think to your point, like, like we're like doing different types of rewards rather than bonuses. That's a great thing. Getting to the end result in a different way than has normally been done is also good because it shows that you trust your people. You know, I mean, if I, if I have two producers, the the way that my producers achieve their goals, there's no set roadmap. The only set, the only setting set jumping off point is that I sit with them and we build a plan that works for them. And I think that that's so important. You have to understand your people. You have to trust your people. And you can't worry about how the people above you have done it because nowadays it's just not going to be replicated. Like everybody's different. So, and everybody reacts to things differently too. Like, so that's, that's a whole other, whole other thing, but I agree with you. I think it's, that's an awesome point. Oh, and this, this leads totally into what you were talking about earlier. So, so let's talk a little bit about situational leadership. So first of all, what, what's your thoughts when, when you hear that word and, and, how do you generally think about situational leadership? Um, so it's evolved as as like my leadership career has gone on. When I was younger, 
Um, and I think I shared this with you, one of my biggest mistakes, and I think it's a common mistake that most young leaders make is you lead with title and not with purpose. Um, and I remember, I remember getting that leadership title and I just thought that gave me like the keys to the kingdom. I thought that it didn't matter who you are or what you were doing um, or what your skill set was. If I needed a task done, you were going to do it because I asked you to. And luckily I didn't stay in that season of my life for a long time, <laughs> but it's like, I remember enduring some of the most frustrating times because it's like, I told like, I told Sally that she had to finish this thing and Sally's not getting it done. Well, Sally wasn't equipped to complete that task. Like that was a poor leadership choice by me. Like I should have spent time identifying who would be best suited to complete this task. And I mean, that's really what situational leadership comes down to. It's just understanding, understanding the, like the hot situations you're going to run into throughout the day. Um, Cause we all have them regardless of the industry. Like there's one or two, um, catastrophes that are going to happen on a daily basis that we can just count on. Um, understanding who's best suited to deal with that type of catastrophe or that type of situation and then deploying them to do it. And I mean, so the other thing is too, is you, you want to, as you're identifying the people that handle those situations in the best fashion, you also want to train other people to handle that too. So there's some people that are just going to be better at it immediately because that's their skill set. But you want to you want to make sure that you're growing others' skill sets too, because you don't want to constantly lean on those people for those situations because they're going to get burned out. Does that make sense? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, having that awareness, I think situational leadership, a term I would use for it, is just having awareness and just understanding, like, it's like who's going to be best suited to complete what task. And nowadays, we live in very interesting times because everything changes second by second. It's not, you really have no time. Like there's just so many situations that come up with social media and we live in like a give me what I want now type society where everything is like instant gratification. You have to be really on your toes and you have to be well-equipped to handle different situations and also be open to learning. Like as a leader, like I don't know everything. Oh, I know that. Like I, I know the least, but I want to... I know, I know people that can get the job done if I need a job done. And I have enough trust built up in the trust bank with them where they're going to go an extra mile for me to help get something done if I need it. So, Yeah, and I, I think also, I mean, one of the key things for me when I think situation leadership at least is, is also understanding, you know, how to treat different people differently. Yeah. Because yep. one, of, one of the sort of more old-fashioned leadership focuses was always to treat people the same right yes. you know if you give this person a holiday you have to give it to everyone and you know everyone is the same everyone have to be treated the same way and i think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes you can do as a leader to do so right so like what's what's your thoughts around that so i i agree and i remember um i remember one time i told someone they could take a day off and they were like, I don't want to take a day off. And I'm like, hey, you've done great work. They take a day off. They're like, no, I don't. Like, I enjoy coming here. I don't want to take off. So, like, to your point, a reward isn't going to feel like a reward to everybody. You really have to take time to understand your people. One of the biggest challenges that we have as leaders or as people nowadays is time. Like, I feel like our time is so thin with everything going on. At least for me, I don't feel like I have, like, copious amounts of time. But 
one thing that I try to do when I, when I bring somebody new into my organization, I, I have like, I call it a, a fact finder. And it's just like a sheet with all these questions about the person. And it's not, has nothing to do with, with business. It's all like, what's your birthday? What's your favorite, favorite holiday? What's your favorite? Like, what's your favorite thing to do with your spouse? Tell me about your spouse. Like I take it. I, I really take the, I call them VIP moments. I take those moments really seriously because they help me understand my people better. And it also, it teaches me how to know, like, how do these people um, know that they've done a good job? How do they react to certain things? What type of leader do they, do they need me to be? And it's not, I feel like to be a great leader, you have to be well-versed in all the different quadrants of leadership. Like there's, there's some, I mean, you've probably heard them before, like the people that are like super aggressive leaders, they just get things done. And then you have the leader that's more laid back and they, they delegate. And then you have the leader that um, is like affable and stuff like that. So I think you have to be very um, multifaceted as a leader and you have to really put a focus on learning about your people and serving them the best manner that they need to be served. Definitely. And I think one, one of the things in this area for me is, is you, you, you need to learn to understand yourself very well, right? I, I think one of the biggest failures that most people run into in, in leadership is actually not knowing themselves well. And, you know, as a leader, you can always think you're great at everything. And, and that's yeah. flattering to think about yourself. But reality is that as a leader, one of the most important things both to set an example for your staff, but also really to be able to deliver as a leader is to really truly understand what you are exceptionally good at and what you're not. Because the whole thing is that when I, when I look at most businesses, when I walk into most businesses and, and coach their leaders and managers, one of the biggest issue is the fact that way too many people spend that time on the wrong things. And when I say the wrong things, it's, it's often a mix of understanding business priorities. And then it's also a mix of actually understanding their own strength. What should they be doing with that time, right? And, and historically, as human beings, like we always, when, when someone says, you're not good at this thing, we want to go and prove it, okay. right? And that is extremely foolish in many, many situations because the things you are naturally not good at, the things you're naturally not gifted of, with some exceptions, uh, you generally want to find other people to do instead. Because again, if you like, you know, if you get dizzy looking at Excel and you want to sit and do your own bookkeeping and accounting, all right? Totally wrong. <laughs> that is very, very, very bad use of your time, your skills, your resources, right? Yeah. And Again, like you need to understand where your strengths play in, where it makes sense for you to actually spend your time to get a good output, right? And, and yeah. this is exactly why, like for me, every single leader I work with need to work on different things based on who they are and their personality, right? If, if you are you know, great at delegating and great at handing over responsibility, you're going to have some other weaknesses so that might not be what you want to work on. Whereas, you know, some people like delegation in itself is, is the number one thing that need their focus for the next three years, right? Yeah. Not that they aren't going to get better doing it, but as a leader, like, again, delegation is extremely important, right? If you yeah. 
I'm not good at delegation. That's one of those things that can fundamentally hold you back. And that doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or a manager in a business, but it's one of those fundamental business skills that you can get to a certain degree. You can get to a certain level, right? Yeah. Being not a good delegator by doing everything yourself, right? So you, yeah. you can get into smaller level leadership roles by doing everything yourself. But the thing is, you will never grow beyond a certain level doing so mm -hmm. just because, I mean, it's all a time thing. And if you spend all your time doing stuff, you're not leading. And if you're not leading, you know, your potential is extremely limited. Yeah. Sometimes, I don't know, I, I've known, I'm thinking back to a time when there was a really, this guy was just like the hardest work. He get more done in like two hours than most people can get done in an entire shift. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Like immediately like the store manager at this big box realtor. And I was one of the, um, one of the assistant leaders, the assistant managers. She called us all in she was like, you know, I think so-and-so needs to be put into management. And we're like, well, why? And she was like, he just gets so much done. And it's hard because I, I watched that guy fall on his face. <laughs> he became a manager and he had a team under him and he spent so much time doing, he wasn't looking at reports. He wasn't coaching his people. He wasn't teaching. Like he just didn't have those other skill sets. He knew how to do. He didn't know how to, how to like delegate and lead. And it ultimately led to his, his downfall. I mean, it was, you could, it just wasn't part of his skill set. And I mean, I think we all fall into it. Like when I first went independent back in 2018 and I opened up my independent agency, like that was very hard, but I thought it was going to be very easy because like, oh, I was, I was a great producer. I was a great leader in this organization. Um, and I just tried to do everything myself. I thought that I would get tasks done, but then social media came into, the, into my life and social media is a huge part of my branding and my marketing. And I don't understand, like, I understand it only because I forced myself to, but I don't understand it on the level that somebody who does it for a full-time career understands it. So I've had to, like, I had to find someone I trusted and I hired them and now they, they work in my agency and they do a great job. And it's, it's one thing that I don't have to worry about. Like, I never think about it. The only thing I do is I interact with the posts when I see them out, um, finding, an agent to work in my agency that has a specialty that I just don't have, you know, like I can't, you're not going to ask me to come build your house. I'm going to have to go. For, I'm not a, I'm not a, a contractor. <laughs> so I'd be the wrong guy for the job, even though I would love to try to do it. I just wouldn't be the right fit. So I understand. Yeah. It's I agree. Totally. So now what's, what's sort of been the best example you've seen where, where you've really had to use situational leadership in a, in a situation where it really made a big difference to you or to the people around you, I guess. I had a financial representative that worked for me. She was a rock star. Like she was, she had a really great, like, you know, like some people just have like leadership ability, like capabilities and they don't even, they don't know it. They don't try to, they don't try to like show them off or anything. She had that. She was very talented. Um, obviously, what I think you know, and I've spoken of this, what, what I do is there's a lot of people interaction. Um, a lot of time early. There's a common belief that you win or lose your, your career, your business uh, like over the phone. That's just a common thing in our industry. It's like, it's always been like, 
dial the phone, make calls, blah, blah, blah. She was terrified of the phone. She was terrified. So how do you manage, how do you lead somebody that is terrified of the one thing that our industry tells you is going to make you the most money? <laughs> Um, so I had to sit down and I just did an analysis with her and I, I just talked, I talked to her openly and honestly, she wanted to succeed. Um, she, she was succeeding, but she wasn't doing it the way that everybody else was doing it. And unfortunately, our industry and the culture of the main, of the big office, it was very much like you have to do A, B, and C to get D. Um, well, she was doing H, H, I, J and getting D. Like she was doing something completely different. So I really just, I built her a plan based around her strengths and her strengths were leveraging social media. She had a huge following on social media. Um, she had like 15 or 20,000 followers, um, which to me back in 2017 was a big deal. I mean, now I, ever, I feel like you need to have a lot more than that, but she had a huge social media following. She had an engaged audience. So we built out, this is one of those situations where we had to ask um beg for forgiveness later because social media is very heavily regulated in my industry. And a lot of the carriers don't understand it um, even to this day. So we had to just do things and put the content out, um, get the reaction, acquire the client and then go and say, Oh, we didn't know we couldn't do that. Um, can we have, can you forgive us? Um, but yeah, it was just, it, was, it really came down to me understanding her strengths, you know, like taking that time to talk to her and asking, asking good questions and, not trying to impose my experiences on her, like letting her experience teach me how to lead her. Um, that's been, that was the biggest, the biggest thing for me. And I try to do that with everybody I meet. I mean, I'm not perfect at it. I do understand, like, I know I've been doing it long enough where I know certain people are going to need a certain type of leadership. They're going to need me to be more hands-on and I'm going to have to develop a plan for them. And like, I'm going to have to check in with them like daily with, with her, we kind of just came up with the plan. She helped build it. So there was a lot of buy-in on her end and she just went with it and she would check in with me. Like we, we designated from the get-go, like, all right, check with me, check in with me every three days. Let me know how it's going. And then she would check in. Like I leave that onus on her because she was capable of doing that, but somebody else on the team, they wouldn't have been, I would have had to check in with them on a daily basis and I would have had to initiate it. So it really came down to me, like just knowing my people, asking questions, spending a lot of time with them, um, just taking an active interest in what's going to make them happy and how they feel that they can best be successful and not the other way around. So, yeah. Excellent. Now to the very fun bit. Yeah. What's that? What, what's the biggest management mistake you've ever made? So many. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a doer, like by nature. So like, if you, if I'm not in a leadership, like for my own personal practice, I just get things done. I don't really understand sometimes how it happens. I, you know, I have a strong, strong faith in God. And I think that sometimes that has to do with it, but um I know God's not going to reward me if I don't move my feet. So I just move my feet constantly and I'm all about volume and I do a lot of marketing and I talk to a lot of people and things just happen. <clears throat> Sometimes I expect other people to be as in it as I am. And, you know, I, I'm not, I wish that I could say that that it hasn't really been, I learned the last lesson I learned was 
Um, I got really micromanaging around the time 2016. I was in leadership for this big carrier, this big mutual carrier. And the person above the regional guy above me is like hammering me about these goals. And these goals are because they had to hit their bonuses. And like, I usually, I don't really give in to pressure that often, but I think I just had my twins and I was probably a little tired and I became very micromanaging. Like I was having sales meetings every morning. We were checking in like, like on the most incremental progress and it became exhausting. And you know, I remember back when I first started, that's, this is the thing. It reminded me of when I first became a leader and when I first became a manager and I was just like on some of these people, like on them, like, like white on rice, just like managing every move that they made, managing every situation. And it's exhausting. And people, and I, and I knew that at that point, my people felt like they, that I didn't trust them. They felt like I didn't believe in them. They felt like, <clears throat> I wasn't looking out for their best interests and I wasn't really serving them. And that's what it came down to. I had to take a, a step back and say, who am I serving here? Am I serving my people or am I serving this company that would let us go in a heartbeat? And I had to make that hard switch. And I, I took a day, I shut it down and I gave everybody else a day off. And I think one, one person didn't take it because they didn't want to take it, but um, we reconvened and I apologized and I was just open with them about it. You know, I, I think back in the day when I first started, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have apologized, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in being vulnerable as a leader. I think there's a ton of value in it. And that was my, that was the first time I was vulnerable as a leader, I think back in 2016. And just being open and honest with these people and saying, hey, listen, I'm a human too. I made a mistake. Um, I have a lot of pressure on me. You know, just had babies. I got this, this guy from the home office uh, blowing up my email, my text every day. Um, and I apologize for, for taking that out on you guys and, and not, not believing in you. So, so I would just ask, like, what, what, what can we do to fix it? Like, and I would, I would let, them, I'd let them have their, their moment. <laughs> And we learned from it, you know, I mean, I think they, I noticed that the trust, the trust well got a lot deeper, you know, on both ends. Um, and we started checking in with each other and it was, it was cool. It was a cool moment, but it was in the, in the, in the moment, the mistakes I was making were just being so overbearing and so micromanaging and um, just not being myself, not being the leader that I knew I was, you know, so and that's, I mean, the, the absolute key thing here, right? And, and many, many people don't get this about micromanagement, but, but people think, oh, well, you know, we need to make it perfect. And, you know, we, we need to do this. The, the, the problem is when you micromanage people, what happens is one very simple thing, which is your staff don't develop. Mm. The problem is when you're micromanaging and people around you don't develop and don't grow, you you're basically digging yourself a hole because if your people around you aren't growing and you are which is what happened with micromanagement because you're doing it all you're making all the decisions and so on right so you're growing but your staff is not what happens is you're actually making it more difficult for you to ever get out of that slump 
because you're basically making the, the difference in skill set and quality between your staff and yourself significantly higher every yeah. single day, right? And, and yeah. this is what most people that are micromanaging don't understand is that when you don't give people responsibility, when you don't give them ownership, they're not growing. And when people are not growing, when you're not growing, you're, you're, you're not just standing still, you're actually moving backwards because other people yeah. around them are growing. Right, yep. and that, that's the fundamental aspect about micromanagement that that's really really important to understand, and it's really the essence. Like if 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 you wanna if you know that you're a micromanager and and you think that you know you're doing it for the right reasons, that's all great, but fundamentally you need to understand that you're not just holding back your employees; you're actually blocking their development, which fundamentally blocks the development and the growth of the business right so you are actually holding back your business and i mean i think i i don't know i just think that i know that i've i've had a lot of success doing what i do like having my business and stuff and i you know step that moment was crucial for me because it it, it made me challenge what had always been done in that office too. So like I, I shared that office, it's like 70 people in it, 75 people. My unit was, I mean, probably about like 12 people. Um, the other managers that came before me or the other leaders, when things, when people didn't perform, they would just go out and do things and make things happen. And then just like give all the stuff to the people, you know? And that's not the way that like, you gotta teach people how to hunt for their own food. You know, what is it? What's the parable? You give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, you teach a man to fish, um, he'll eat for his entire life. I think that was so important for me to learn because then after that, I I stopped trying to do everything. Like the micromanagement stopped. And like that was I I feel like that was probably one of the last times that I'm that I micromanaged a team. And the reason was because it opened my eyes to say this is too much stress for me. It's too much pressure to be putting on other people. Um, it's it's going to hurt the culture. And I want these people to, I want these people to be able to have success if I'm out of the equation. And I think that's the, that's the important part. So um, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you're spot on. <laughs> you're spot on with that. So. Excellent. Well, Timothy, thank you very much for joining me on this podcast today. It was fantastically fun to talk to you. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. I had a great time. If people are eager to get hold of you, what's the best place to do so? Um, so they can go to my website, www.tristatelegacygroup.com. And that's T-R-I-S-T-A-T-E-L-E-G-A-C-Y group.com. Um, and you can, you can hit our social handles from there. We have our Instagram and our Facebook on there. Um, and through those pages, you can get to my, my personal, like my, my personal Instagram. So, Excellent. All right. well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you on and yeah. for the audience, we will be back again next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.